to another episode of the Tech Observers. My name is Michael. And I'm Johannes. We'll be talking about privacy and tech today. All right, cool. So I'm going to call you Johnny for the entire rest of the episode because I've never called you Johannes a day in our friendship. Uh, <laughs> All right, so Johnny, privacy. I feel that's been a, that's been a evolving trend in technology. Uh, today, we want to talk about some of the new privacy laws, some of the new privacy acts that people are putting in. Uh, we want to talk about uh, which companies still we still trust with our data and, and where do we think the future of privacy is. It seemed like uh, in the past, I want to say, what is this? When did GDPR get implemented? Three years ago? 2018. Two years ago. Okay, wow. It seems like in the, in the past few years, data privacy has upticked as this thing that, or specifically data privacy and, and user right to data, as the thing that's upticked significantly. Uh, right. To the point where now, no one talked about it before, and now, except if you worked in enterprise data like I did, I remember working with Germany back in the day. Uh, but now, it's on the tip of everyone's mind. States in the United States have started making rules about it. People are making decisions on their products, uh, or what products to purchase and what companies to buy into uh, based on privacy. So we figured, because of all this growth, let's talk about privacy. Let's first talk about uh, the different laws and how it's come to be. Uh, then we'll dive into meat of questions. So, Johnny, you went and looked into GDPR. Uh, you want to give a bit of an overview uh, of the of the laws? Absolutely. So, GDPR, or what it stands for, General Data Protection Regulation, is a granddaddy of them all. It's uh, well, the granddaddy of the modern, I should say, because it was, of course, uh, data protection laws and directives beforehand. So, yes, GDPR, like the BDSG. Yes, like the BDSG. The good old you want, German. You want, you want to try to pronounce the BDS? Oh, no, no. That, that is totally up to you. That is, I'm going to butcher it. Well, I think I could get Bundestaten. There now. you go. You get the it, first part. Bund, yeah, I can get Bundestaten, but... And the, it's like uh, Schultz Gazettes. It's, it's the uh, Schultz gets, Schultz gets... I can't say the second part. I can say Bundestaten. There you go. No. So GDPR is a legal framework that requires businesses... And this is not just any kind of business, all businesses to protect personal data and privacy of European Union citizens for transactions that occur within EU member states. Um, so this covers all companies that deal with the data of EU citizens, you know, banks, insurance companies, technology companies, financial, uh, other financial companies. And to, just a bit of the history of GDPR is that it was adopted in 2016, April 2016, and it was um, it came into enforcement two years later, it was May 2018. And it, the EU created GDPR to replace its uh, outdated data protection uh, directive, which was enacted back in 1995. Part of the challenge of the data protection directive was it was just a directive, right? It just said, hey, this is maybe what you should do. And it was not, it, it wasn't, you know, created, it wasn't, it was created at a time with the digital age, right? So it was pretty outdated in order to handle some of the cases of, you know, you have the data breaches, you have a lot of concerns of what, who is using your data and how they're using it. A lot of these free services that we use, we're starting to become more and more aware that, you know, they're essentially data-driven companies, right? So GDPR came in, into effect to not just be something that was enacted, but it's actually required by all 28 Member city, member countries of the EU to comply with and enforce it. Um, so that's the big thing. And then, uh, 
yeah, so I know across the board, you know, I was working at a financial technology company. We were taking a lot of stuff seriously. And it doesn't, just to add to that, it's not that by May 2018, everybody had to be compliant, right? Just to provide some, some information. It's that you had to start showing that you were on your way to compliance, right? Because yes. you can imagine there's lots of data, especially these huge companies. They have data centers, they have infrastructure set up. There's a ton, a ton of work that has to happen to actually become compliant. So 2018 wasn't, hey, you're, if you're not compliant, you get fined. It was, hey, you need to start showing you're on your way to being compliant. And the running we'll joke in the you. data industry was that when GDPR, uh, GDPA rather, GDPR, sorry, um, came into, uh, was officially, uh, came into law, the joke going around was, well, how did how did this other tech company or this other data company prepare the GDPR? And it was like, they didn't. No one did. <laughs> no one is actually ready. Everyone is just uh, everyone is just declared uh, to the EU where in which places they are not ready and when they'll be ready by. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and then of course, you know. Um, on the other side, uh, <clears throat> for smaller companies that don't necessarily have their own data centers, tools like AWS made it simpler because then you could just focus on launching your infrastructure into that environment, right? Whether you were in Asia, you were in Australia, you were in Europe, you'd start setting it up. Because I think as a reaction around that time also, different countries started putting in their own policies or they already had their own policies in place. I think this leads to the more recent CCPA, which mm-hmm. was has come into effect as of the 1st of January, 2020. So Michael, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what CCPA is? Yeah, absolutely. So what does CCP- it stand for first off? Yes, it stands for the California Consumer Privacy Act. Um, and it was signed into law on the 28th of 2018. Uh, it was apparently, it was an amendment to part of the California Civil Code, which extended effectively your right of your right of access to data to your right of access uh, and pri- or right of access and ownership over your data online. Um, so, for reference, you know about uh, right of access or uh, requests, right? In which you can go in California, at least you can go and request information about uh, anyone in California, or you can request your data uh, that the government or different government agencies or different entities have on you. For example marriage licenses easily found if you just do a right of uh, right of information sorry request um, but anyways the intentions of the act they said there were six intentions uh, was one know what personal data is collected uh, about them the rather this is for California residents Two, know whether their personal data was sold or disclosed and to whom it was sold or disclosed to three it was to say no to the sale of personal data four is to access their personal data Five was request the business to delete any of their personal data or information, which, of course, on the technology side, that's where most companies were putting all of their efforts. Uh, and six, not to be discriminated against for exercising their privacy rights. Of course, just the blanket protection uh, in there you put into any law to make sure that the people uh, who you want to protect don't get, uh, don't get negatively impacted again uh, for trying to do this. Uh, basically, the the things, things uh, every state I feel probably has had in their new law since the, the Voting Rights Act. Um, but anyways, interesting thing about the compliance of this. So but in the intentions of such, uh, the intentions of ACT did lead to the implementation of ACT. Basically, as an end user, what does this mean? This means I can go and request all the data a company has about me. Uh, I can ask a company to delete 
and all my personal data. I can ask the company not to collect certain important uh, user, uh, user identifiable information. And I can also see who a company has sold my data to uh, for the use of uh, web marketing or ad-based marketing, which we'll probably talk about a bunch. But the interesting thing about CCPA compliance is that the application of it is, is definitely not, it is definitely targeted to, I would say, I would say to, to tech companies. Um, maybe not just to tech companies, but definitely to people who definitely target around this ads, uh, web ads environment. So for example, in order to actually qualify to be targeted for CCPA, you have to have an annual gross revenue uh, in excess of 25 million. Uh, you have to buy or sell personal data from at least 50,000 or more customers or households or devices. Uh, and you have to earn more than half of its annual revenue from selling the customer's personal information. So first off, Johnny, our, uh, our, our startup, if we at least, if we just get uh, 20,000 people and they all have two devices each, we're safe. Uh, as long okay. as we don't make too much money. Okay. Uh, that would be the goal of our startup. Yes, we don't to, need to, to implement CCPA compliance because we don't make enough money. That's it. Our goal is to make not enough money so we can stay under the radar. Yes. Yeah. Um, actually, just something to go back and that I missed is to quickly cover what data is protected under GDPR. So there's two major protective rights that are highlighted. Mm -hmm. um, one is the right of erasure and the right to be forgotten. I know the right to be forgotten was really something that came up to be in Europe. Um, if, but if you don't want your data out there, then you have the right to request for its removal or erasure. And then secondly, the right of portability, right? So then these opt-in, opt-out clauses um, so that these, these notices must be very clear and precise as to their terms, which, as you said, they, don't, they aren't always. Um, and then there's um, several types of data that are addressed and covered under GDPR. The first is, of course, personal identifiable information, which includes names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers. Email Second, addresses. What's that? Email addresses are part of that, right? Uh, yes, I, I'd imagine they are. They yeah, email addresses, mobile phone numbers, device IDs. Right. Anything that you know, can identify you as an individual, right? Secondly, web-based data, including user location, IP address, cookies, and RFID tags. Uh, third, really important health, uh, HIPAA, and genetic data. Fourth, biometric data. I don't know why biometric data is separate than health data, but okay. Well, okay. Can see that. So five racial, ethnic data, six political opinions, and seventh sexual orientation. Right, and then their criteria, uh, what criteria needs to be met is that um, companies are subject to GDPR if the business has a presence in an EU country. Mm -hmm. So one of the imagine the twenty eight member states. Two, even if there is no presence in the EU, the company still processes personal data of European residents. So that that does. Yeah, exactly. So especially in today's day and age, right, where you may not have a presence there, but somebody, uh, EU citizens may use your service. Third, there's more than 250 employees. So that's the other thing, uh, uh, Michael. We have to ban all EU citizens from using our service, which includes myself. And we need to make sure we have 249 employees. No, you just need Canadian citizenship, and we just need to not operate. So I, I just need to move to Canada. This, this is this is clear what it is because California also has that contractor law. Oh. So I just need to be in Canada. You need to get Canadian citizenship. See, I'm the pioneer. A bunch of contractors, exactly. I'm, I am the pioneer in our friendship, thinking <laughs> ahead of time. 
<laughs> now, fourth, fourth, even if there is fewer than 250 employees, if the data processing impacts the rights and freedoms of its data subjects. So, um, and then really just... Define rights. Uh, I joke, but what does that mean? It doesn't elaborate here. Mm. I guess... I'm assuming it's the rights that each com- uh, that each country gives uh, or, or its citizens or the EU as a total. Some, something interesting is I realize of both of these, the ability to forget. Um, I know how I could implement that as a company, but I've sold your data already. So what does that mean, the ability to forget? Because as a company, for example, I've put third-party tracking cookies on, on your computer, me and every other uh, tech company or website out there. I've gotten information about you. I've built a profile. I've sold that data to advertisers already. Advertisers are, I then use my ads platform, show you different ads from those advertisers. And then we click uh, forget and I remove that so that you appear to be either a new user or an untrackable user effectively from those, uh, from those uh, ads matching platforms and systems. But the advertisers themselves have still been sold your data, for example. How do they forget? They still know you, and if it's not the internet and my ads platform, uh, they're still physical mail, they're still email campaigns, they're still Google, uh, or other systems that they partner with and work with. They all still have your data, and, and realistically, how different will your profile look like at the end of this year versus the beginning of last year? Sure, maybe down the line, your profile changes significantly and this impacts you, but what does right to forget actually mean in practice for the consumer? I haven't figured that out yet. Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's a good point, right? Because as long as I'm the one that only keeps your data and I'm not in the business of selling it, I can force all these things. And if you come and say, hey, I actually don't want this data anymore, I can delete it, right? And those are some of the things that at the tech tech and data level, database level, if you will, you know, you have to make sure you had these markers to ensure to be compliant for GDPR if the user wants to, to no longer use your service. But if you're in the business of aggregating and selling data to other third-party data um, aggregators and, and you know, all these middlemen that you never really hear about, then what happens, right? If you come to me and say, I want my data deleted, I can definitely delete your data mm-hmm. from my system, but there's no guarantee that, you know, down the line it's been deleted because if I've already sold it, I'm not held accountable to it anymore. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. I wonder if that's a, a gap, but how would you even enforce that while we're on this topic? You, the problem with that is you couldn't because I could sell your data to an international advertiser in California and, Uh, that let's say the international advertisers in Canada. So outside of the jurisdiction of the EU. um, And uh, that data has already been sold. Monetization has already been made off of that. And that entity or that, uh, that country or that advertiser operates outside of the bounds of any of these laws. So you can't request your data from them. Right. Uh, Interesting. It is interesting. I guess the idea is that moving forward, because you can opt out and you can delete and you can forget that you're protected forward, uh, which has interesting ramifications to uh, what was I about to say to uh, to how useful uh, web ads will be in the future. And actually, there's a when we get down to the companies, 
some of the big players here are doing funny, interesting things with their own uh, with their own browsers, especially the internet browser space. Let's get into the next question, Johnny. Of the consumer tech giants, which one are you most okay giving your data to, and which of the products would you use, and which ones would you not? So we have the the big four in terms of having consumer data here: uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. Which ones do you most trust, and why? Which products would you use, uh, and why? So uh, I'm gonna flip the question a little bit. Okay. Um, I want to see it more. I think what would be more interesting. I mean, we've seen the leaks. Uh, we've seen how. Um, uh, how do I put it? Um, so to, to summarize, you know, Google is from the very day one, they've been trying to be an AI company. They've always been a data company. Their goal has been to organize the world's data and make it available and searchable. So they've always been in the data business. Let's be clear. Uh, Amazon has been, I mean, for those that really pay attention to it, um, we know it's not, but it's more subtle than Google. But still, it's able to use all this data to to further build and refine their products they did buy Ring, which makes it a bit more, you know, there's been some controversy around Ring recently with access to police, access to surveillance, mm-hmm. people getting hacked. Uh, Facebook, uh, you know, F- Facebook has had really, you know, horrible several years with, uh, you know, killed, since like the 2016 election. Like, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. The 2016 election, um, you know, the all the different privacy, there's like documentaries around it. So we know how nonchalant they've tended to be historically around data and how they manage it. Apple has tried to be very, you know, very stay clear out of that, especially last year. They've been very clear that they respect your privacy. At least I'm talking from a brand perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Not saying what they really do, right? So, you know, Apple has been championing that they're different than the rest of the tech industry and that they respect and all these things like, you know, making sure that the iPhone is secure, uh, and traditionally, iPhone has been more secure than Google's Android. We've known this. It's been. I think it's more like Google has been closing down shop on Android, while Apple has been slowly opening up stuff on iPhone. So there's that. So, but more, more. What I would be find interesting is, and maybe we can jump to this after you give your part. Is there are certain? I think there are certain services from these companies and products you can avoid, and there are certain that you just can't avoid in today's world. And I think that will be a more interesting discussion because if you can avoid it, then that's fine. You don't really care. It's like, I don't want to use this product. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter. But if there's no way I can avoid not using their product, then it really matters how they're using my data. Mm-hmm. Right. But what, what is your take? Which one right. would, you, would you, are you comfortable with and which one are you not? Yeah. So I remember listening to a talk by, I forget who, some, some tech luminary. Um, what he said was, uh, how trust your, if, uh, what's it called? If you look at how a company makes money, um, that should be a big part of determination of where you trust your data. So what he meant by that was if the company makes the majority of its money off of, uh, off of you and off of taking your data, uh, it's incentive. It's going to be continue to be incentivized to do that. Right. Whereas if a company makes off its money off of sales or off of services or off of you giving it money for one reason or another, uh, it's going to care about you and maximizing that uh, much more instead of maximizing the necessarily the data it can get from you. Um, and also what I want to do as well is 
Uh, and another thing is I remember one of my EMs way back in the day, he also had a take on this, which was he did not- What's EM? Uh, engineering manager, sorry. Okay. One of the engineering managers way back in the day, he used to say that he came from the security space and he said he would not trust companies uh, that do not oper- do not need themselves good security to create a product that has good security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he came over from Semantic and he was saying, I don't trust Amazon. He was saying, I don't trust Google. Neither of those companies themselves have good security. Uh, so that's why he, that was his justification for trusting Apple, which in itself is a company that's more about security. So back to which one of these companies do I trust most? Um, I know enough not to trust any of them, but if I were to trust one, I'd go back to that policy of see how the company makes their money. Uh, and Apple still makes most of its money off of hardware. And if I were to trust any of these, it would be Apple. Even Apple's changing now, right, with the rise of its uh, services. That's a but, good point. Uh, um, not necessarily, I just want to mention these. We don't have to have answers for them right now. Mm-hmm. Just some thoughts as we were talking is I think you could do a series. This is an idea. Mm-hmm. You could do a series on privacy in, in tech mm-hmm. and look at it by industry. And what I mean by that is, as you're saying, you know, right now we're looking at these four uh uh, you know, giant, mm-hmm. and Apple is the one that brands itself as a more privacy, uh, um, uh, what's the word, um, aware, and that, as you said, right, their main business has been up to now selling hardware. So they're not in the business of taking your data or selling your data or analyzing your data for the most part versus the other guys. So one question is that if we start looking at privacy by industry and market, is there a more privacy-focused company operating that space? So for example, what I what I was thinking of specifically is, Take Uber, right? Uber is a, I mean, well, they're not, it's not, they're not large as these guys, but they're pretty huge. They pioneered some and Lyft, they pioneered a new, you know, ride sharing, the gig economy. So if you were to look at the ride sharing uh, industry and look at it by like size, you'd have, I mean, I know there's some regional players, but let's just say mm-hmm. you're looking at the States, you have Uber and Lyft primarily. If, which one, of, if they both, now I bring these up because I think it's kind of hard to avoid Uber and Lyft. Right. I was going to say, we, we could do a series on it, so, all the spaces and say, what is the most private choice you can possibly make within this? Exactly. So that was one. And then two like is... This. And then what's the trade-off, of course? Yeah, exactly. So again, not, not something we answer, just thoughts. Mm-hmm. The other one is, if we think about it, Facebook's gotten a ton of heat, right? Again, mm-hmm. you know, 2016, democracy, all that, right? Mm-hmm. Google, Amazon have been at least operating at least 10 years longer than, than Facebook, right? They are companies that were founded in the late 1990s, 95, 96, 97. Um, Facebook was founded, I think, what, 2004-ish? I believe it was somewhere around there. So, you know, Facebook was, you know, somewhere 10 years, nine years uh, uh, younger than these guys. But Facebook's the one that took so much of the heat, right? And as we know, Google and Amazon are just as much in the data business, right? Whether they themselves are taking advantage of your of your data and having all this information, your emails, what you sell, what you buy. But how is it that Facebook, is it because of the nature of social media or is it, is that just the, the age that we're in? So again, not questions, just well, questions actually, to raise, which I think I is think interesting. That's, so I think that's an interesting question for these. Which ones do you trust most with or which service could you avoid? I think that something that has, that has been certainly circulating around my mind uh, through different conversations I've had at work is that, um, the value that 
a service provides you can sometimes make you forget about what the cost is, especially yeah. for these free services. So I think yeah. and now as we're going through these different type of things, like the, the thing that spawned this for me is Google made that commercial for the Super Bowl, which basically they did a victory lap. <laughs> they just did a dance. <laughs> it's a heartwarming commercial. It's, a, it's an old man who is, who is, uh, uh, whose wife has passed and he's telling Google to remember all these things to remember about her because he's afraid he's losing his own memory uh, for, for different reasons and purposes. Uh, so it's, it's touching. It's super touching. But essentially, it's just Google doing a victory lap on the rest of the data. They're like, we have all of your data. We reveled it. We give you value uh, for that particular data. In fact, we're not even talking about your data. We're telling you about how much more value you can get from giving us even more data. Uh, but yes, that's my micro rant, sorry, about Google. Um, but I would say that they, Google appears, actually, what value do you think you get from giving Google your data? Well, today, day and age, um, when I first started using the internet, I think, you know, MSN was there and all that was there. I remember my first email was Hotmail. Hotmail was the standard. Like, everyone had Hotmail. And, you know, there was Yahoo and AOL. But now, I think Gmail is the standard. Like, anytime I see someone who has a Yahoo email or a Hotmail, I get to help and judge them. Like, hey, have you, have you not come to the 21st century that is Google? Now, not to say, like, now they have all kind of come into parity, but there was a time where Gmail was the pioneer in mm -hmm. the amount of space it gave you, amount of attachments it gave you, uh, Google Drive. Mm -hmm. sure, even, even our notes are on Google Drive. Yeah, but sure, but let me ask a question about this, which is what value from the data-taking side of Gmail do you actually get out of it? So, for example, Google will show me I have a ticket, add to my calendar and stuff like that. It'll, it'll say that I'm writing, like, let's meet tomorrow. And it'll say, hey, do you want to make a calendar invite? Uh, stuff like that. It'll take an address from an email and put it on my map for me uh, and, you know, set up maps for that if I have an Android phone. Are you getting, do you feel you're actually getting good value? Because you're not opting into any of those. Uh, Google is automatically reading and taking that information. Oh, sorry, you opt in by the moment that you sign on to Gmail. At the moment you create your Google account, uh, do you feel you're getting value for that? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because I would add as well with YouTube, for example, I have ad block on. I'm not even getting the value for user for Google taking my data on that one. Yeah, you're right. I have ad block on YouTube. Actually, one of the things I hate, I really, really hate is every time I open up YouTube on my phone or my tablet, I immediately have to remember, oh, I need to probably go back and watch this on my computer because I have an ad block. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they added, ever since they started adding, like, if you're watching like a 20 minute video, you're probably going to see three to four ads. It just drives me crazy. Can you not just do one and then move on? Um, so it does affect the user experience. And yes, for that, then I'm not really Actually, you know what's the most interesting thing? So I have uBlock. Speaking of Google, I have uh, uBlock Origin installed on Chrome. And just on our Docs page that's been open since last night, it has blocked 332 requests uh, from Google Docs. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what those requests are. But yeah, interesting. Uh, 
But yeah, how about how about I was gonna say how about Amazon? Uh, we're probably giving less. And for, actually, for Amazon, would you get an Alexa? Would you get an Echo? I do have an Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, do I use it? Is a different question. So I do have one in my kitchen. Um, I have the one with the, the Echo Show. I think yep. the one, the first one with the with the screen. Then I have the small the Echo Dot. One. Um, I don't use Echo Dot anymore. It's un- it's been unplugged and sitting in my drawer. Okay, um, I was gonna say, sure, it's not using you. Yes, and I also got a Google Home Mini through a Spotify deal that I got for free. Um, same thing, right? When you were mentioning Alexa and Echo, I was thinking, well, like Google also has Google Home. Mm-hmm. They're competing in that space. So, uh, but yeah, no, I have it. It's connected. It's in my kitchen. Um, I usually ask it what the weather is or to set a timer for me, which I know you could probably use your phone for that as well, but that's the only thing I use it for. And Given what I've been seeing and observing, I'd probably not get another one. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't use my other, any, my, my home and my Echo Dot have been unplugged and just sitting in their drawers. So, no. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is voice is such a good interface. Uh, yes. But speech and it, talking is such a good interface. And in theory, these assistants could provide so much value. But man, I do not trust either. But I, I, I mean, this brings another, another point. Do you then not trust your phone? Because your phone has a mic. Right, there are your phone does have like you know Apple now has a Hey Siri, um, yeah. uh, Google has a Hey Google, which will okay, not sometimes it lights up my phone when I don't need it to. So mm-hmm. you can't argue. You, you on the other hand, you can argue that the same technology that's powering your Alexa devices, your Google Home devices, your Echo devices, and all that is also powering your mobile phone, right? Mm-hmm. And unless you know, that's why like if you will, in like top security clearance conversations and all of these like military or government meetings, they make sure they don't have any electronic devices whatsoever. Right. Or sometimes you see these in movies where they take it away. uh, They throw out the battery, everything, right. There's a high level of paranoia. So do we throw away our phones? Mm. Right. Do we say our phones are not useful? Do you turn off those features? And even if you turn off those features, are you guaranteed? The other thing that kind of ties to this is to just make the point clearer is I think a few years ago, when I think there was an image of, of Mark Zuckerberg and he had his webcam closed and he had a, I think he had something around his mic. Oh, yeah. was, so that was, that was a very stirring image, right? I could have the same thing. Exactly. Right. So even if you think your, your, your webcam is off, are you sure it's off? Or even if you think your mic is off because you're not recording like we are right now, how do we know it's not actually been on? Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, Here's another interesting thing, and I think it gets to, so th- this gets to something interesting about how these companies purport to use your data. Uh, so Apple actually for Safari and Google's they're gonna do something similar. Uh, they're gonna highly limit the use of third, uh, third-party tracking cookies and the collection right. of UII. And Apple claims, and effectively this is, this is gonna hit uh, through, because they own the, the two big browsers, uh, this is going to hit uh, web ads incredibly tough. Like every single company that <laughs> with uh, web advertising is is having is having a lot of work right now to try to figure out what the new world of that will be like. Um, right. I mean, Facebook mentioned it in the the earnings uh, report for Q1. But what Apple claims is that uh, this is at least my interpretation of it. They use they they say they use learning models without UII uh, in order to 
in order to create profiles for people without necessarily needing the same amount of data that everyone else has. Uh, so what really that means, of course, is I sell you the hardware and thus everything you do on my, and I own the entire app store. Therefore, yeah, your username or your email or those other profiles, I don't care. I have so much data about you uh, that, that I'm good. Um, but I will quote unquote promise that I'm not going to target you, the individual. I'm going to target you, the monetizable entity. Um, mm. So that's another thing. It's like, how much do you trust? Now, this Apple says this, and I'm sure that's you know their policy and that's what they want to do, uh, or else they'd be sued for libel if they were lying. Um, but uh, how much do you trust any of these companies when, they, when Google comes out and says privacy? We're now a privacy-focused company. When Facebook comes out and says, we're, we're going to double down on privacy. When Amazon comes out and says, we're going to double down on privacy. How much could you trust any of these companies when they say these things? Can you even trust them? Real quickly, just the last company. I feel probably that giving my data to Facebook provides the least value to me. Uh, you don't stay in touch with your friends and family, Michael Chen? Well, oh, I gosh. do, but I do. But what, what does that have to do with my data? It's my messages to my friends and family, sure. But using my data, Facebook, I, I remember I've bought fake Allbirds once on accident from Facebook. Uh, other than that, I don't really get any value out of the ads on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook assistant, that M thing that tried to exist for a while just is gone now from all intents and purposes. Right. I don't know what value I, and I think if I were to look at these companies, Facebook probably has the worst reputation in privacy. And one of the things that I've been talking about throughout these last few weeks uh, with folks is that I think people believe that Facebook gives you the least value while taking your data. It's like, Oh, you give me all your contacts. Give me all this. You're going to show me, people I may know. I mean, what is it, what is value you're, you're actually providing me for this disproportionate amount of your data? I think which is another meta point with all these is there's perspective and reputation, but there's also intended value you get back or, or perceived value you get back for this right. data that makes it feel more like a fair transaction. Right. And I think Facebook probably seems like the least fair transaction of all these. Interesting. Oh, yeah, that's actually that's that's also an interesting way to 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 analyze it, right? How much utility are you getting out of it, right? If you think you're getting something valuable, then you might be willing to live live with the consequence of you know giving your data up for these companies. And maybe it's only a select type of data, not everything that they want to take from you, right? Actually, yeah, there's a good question. What, Johnny? What would you what would you allow Google to have in order to get back? Uh, value from Google? Well, I think a big thing is already that I'm already giving and that I don't mind is my search history. Um, sometimes it's so while we're in this, I don't mind my search history, right? Because I'm Google, that means I'm usually searching for something and it'll either pop up on my feed, like recent mm -hmm. article, something that's related that I might be interested in, which Fine, I get it. It's basic keyword. The one thing that I find really unnerving about this, though, is, you know, I've been in the, in the office discussing something with friends, like a topic that I never searched for, but we just discussed it, like some mm -hmm. keyword. And then I'll open up my Google feed, like, later in the day, and I'll find that exact topic mm -hmm. is showing up. Like, 
I never search for basketball, for example, or let's say baseball. And you and I talk about baseball. Later mm-hmm. on, I'll open my news and it'll mention something about MLB. And I'm like, uh, MLB, sorry. And I'll be like, I don't do anything with baseball. How'd mm-hmm. you find this information? Which means you're probably listening. It's like you're probably it's the, that's the creepy thing. You're probably listening, exactly, or you're probably doing. Uh, the algorithms look too good. They they right. look too interesting. Now, what could be happening is that people you're close to are searching that up, and you're probably talking about it for particular reasons. There was some event that happened. It's probably not as random as you think, uh, because there's there's. I'm not sure if there, there should be like a psychological study or, or a name for this phenomenon when you exactly what you describe, which you talk about something and then your Google's like suggested search is that there's probably there needs to be a phenomenon. We should coin something uh, like uh, what's it called? Uh, two co- like uh, what's Repeat. it called? <laughs> the suspicious, suspicious Google uh, recommendations. SG, SGRs. S, yeah, there S, what was R stand for? Suspicious Google recommendations. There we go. Suspicious Google recommendations. (laughs) Suspicious. SSRs. Suspicious search recommendations. There we go. SSR. Uh, Should it be the, the, uh, what it called? I I think it should be known as the, an umbrella of suspicious search recommendations. (laughs) This guy trying to create new, but no, I mean, it is, uh, uh, you know what would be interesting is if you could pull, and this is an idea, poll, Twitter, or whichever your favorite social media is, uh, probably Twitter, and ask this question of how often have you found that you said some, ta- some, mm-hmm. said some word or discussed a topic that you never searched before, you never mentioned anywhere else before, or at least recently, and then all of a sudden it shows up in your feed, it shows up in ads, and you just think, wait a minute, so you must be listening to me. Real quick, say, what does it come to you? Let's stack rank the big four. Which company do you most trust? Which company do you least trust? Or which company you're most comfortable giving your data to? I'm most comfortable giving my data to Apple. And then least? It would have to be Facebook. Yeah, I think I'm the same. We're, but I, I think I'm the same on one of four. Would you rate Google versus Amazon, though? I think I would want to say trust Amazon more. See, interesting thing is, I want to say I, I would be more comfortable giving it to Google, I guess, because one, I'm already giving so much data to Google, but two, Amazon provides me no utility with that data. I'm not in the ecosystem of diet and everything else. When I go to Amazon and search, I'm searching, I'm driving. I don't care about their recommendations. I'm the one looking at ad block everywhere else, so I don't see Amazon ads. I'm getting least value from... Well, okay, it could be least value, but it could also just be who would you trust, right? Who do you trust? I, who who do you trust is actually taking care of the data that they do have of you and not using it for something that's not intended. So Bezos actually. So given, Bezos versus uh, Sundar. Actually, given what you said, I I probably have to switch mine and say I trust Google more. Um, yeah, Amazon's whole Ring thing, although it's an interesting acquisition, seems to be causing more problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, their Alexa. Um, put it this way: Amazon is more synonymous with you know with Alexa now. Ring is there versus Google, which has primarily been driven by search and YouTube. Mm-hmm. So and ads. I see and ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to the next topic. Let's talk about what is the, what, what role does technology play in all of this? Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly mention that along with the rise of policies and the rise of consumer awareness, there's also been 
you know, an advancement in the technology used, right? So a big part of this is companies are hoovering up all this data um, in today's age because of the rise of AI, the rise of data analytics, you know, big data a few years ago, uh, technology has been, you know, taking pace. You know, there was Hadoop, there was the rise of Spark, if you will, that allowed companies to start crunching massive, massive amounts of data and get insights much faster, especially when you start operating at Google, Google scale. There was an interesting uh, podcast I was listening to, the, the Data Engineer podcast, where they actually had someone who joined Google as a front-end engineer mm-hmm. um, and started their career there, but he ended up working in big data. And the reason was because when he was working at Google and he was a front-end developer, um, they had so much amounts of data that they needed to crunch in order to analyze to you know for design and, and front-end and user experience perspectives. And that's what drifted him into to that speed. So it just shows you like when your small company it doesn't matter. Maybe you can take some of the clicks and some of the different analytics and pull something together. But when you start operating at the scale that Google operates or like Amazon, these big companies we're discussing, then it becomes really important to have the, 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 the technology to, to enable it. Um, so that was the interesting thing. The other thing I just want to mention is um, what's fascinating is like most data processing and other data actually, tools. I was going to say, man, do I, do I find front end engineering boring? Yes. Well, yeah. It's like, we're going to gonna build some UI. Okay, cool. I'm going to go make these data systems like 50 times more efficient and pump enough data to power advanced machine learning models so your one UI can put rank one I, thing higher than the other. I don't Congrats. think you've ever, you've ever been accused of being artistic. So, well, so, so I'll, I'll have you know I doodle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Especially when I'm bored. Uh, Who do you think designed most of the logos for our failed startups? That's true. That's That's why. That's why they failed. That's it. The art just sucked. Nobody wanted to touch that logo. It's like, what kind of website is this? Horrible. People look at it like, crap. We know now we're going to have to outsource our design moving forward. All right. What what I was going to say is that what's what's interesting is um, in the rise of AI, you now have – Tools like differential privacy, I know Udacity partnered up with Facebook to offer scholarship and offer secure and private AI course. So there's that. The other thing that's really interesting in the space is that all these companies give away their tools for free. They open source it, right? Um, Google, that seems to be so much ahead in so many of these spaces. They had Hadoop uh, before Hadoop was opened up. I think 10 years later, companies were starting to adopt Hadoop. And then, you know, people have then moved on. There's Spark. You know, there's BigQuery, there's Redshift, there's all these services out there, like, um, uh, and more and more of them are open source and available. And I think the reason is because the differentiator is the data, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the tools. <laughs> the tool. That's why they gave them away for free. Anybody yeah. can go use the tools. Anybody can go use TensorFlow. Anybody can go use PyTorch. That's not what these companies differentiator is. It's their data, which goes back to, you know, this whole importance of privacy. So I just want to highlight that there is the same side, improving, uh, like I said, differential privacy is a tool, there's secure AI, there's tons of research that's going into the space on how do you make sure, because there's also a level of ethics, right, for for the, the even in the, the AI space, right, there is the rising notion of we have to be aware and ethical about how we use data and what we end up ultimately doing with that data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are the things I want to mention. I guess my question for this is, Will this will this solve the problem, or is the problem not the technology is not there? Is the problem that it's just too too it's just too much business incentive to use data 
the way that we've been traditionally using data? Yeah, I think some of these companies, and that's a, that's a point you bring up, a lot of these companies, they may just treat it as, as the cost of doing business, mm-hmm. right? If you're making you know tens of millions of profit per, per quarter, even you know, the $5 billion um, charge that the fee that the FTC levied on uh, Facebook, what does that mean? That means nothing to them. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, we're going to pay this. We're going to get a slap on the wrist and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Right? Mm-hmm. Have, we, have, we, have they fundamentally changed what they're doing? I don't think so. And that's just, just speaks to all of them, right? Um, the, the opportunity of the profit opportunity, the, the business opportunity is so massive that it's easier to just pay the fees and keep, keep doing what you're doing is what I firmly believe. And of course, you know, you could do with the branding. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is like um, Apple is huge. And I know they've been really pushing their, their, their brand uh, their focus on privacy, and of course, they've always been the hardware business. But they're, they're, one of their huge markets is China, right? What have they? What's going on there? What what is what enables such a large company like like Apple to operate the way they do in China, right? What have they been able? What have they had to give up in order to operate there? That's an interesting thing. So, so here, I guess here's another question of that. So, is this a space then, uh, wherein if technology is not the answer? Uh, per se, this is an area where the government needs to step in in order to uh, what's going on to protect its citizens. And if so, I mean, you've seen whether it's Mark Zuckerberg going on Capitol Hill or any of the tech uh, folks who go there. Do you tr- do you trust any of our elected officials and nothing to them, but look at their general demographics uh, to actually understand what the hell is going on in this space? Uh, and to well, to actually protect citizens, given that they could, they would ask the wrong CEO about the wrong company. Uh, from what I saw and heard, I don't put much faith in them really fundamentally solving this problem. I think, over, of course, over time, one thing or another will lead there. There's already consumer backlash. There's already even engineers working in the industry not willing to work for certain companies when recruiters reach out to them. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, their collaboration with ICE, their collaboration with the government, privacy laws. So there's growing backlash both on the consumer side and the engineer side, right? And I think that may lead to change. I don't know, right? Sure. I'm sure, but I was just thinking, it's like if I were to create CCPA uh, and I really, really cared more about the citizens than uh, average than big tech, for example, I would probably make a bunch, I'd probably implement it incredibly differently a much more strict way, and I probably destroy like web ads as an industry uh, by doing it if I cared about privacy. Um, Interesting. So that could be another one. Look at all these topics we're bringing up. I think something that to, at the end of our privacy series, we should have the conversation of is privacy a fixable problem? That should be the goal of our privacy series. Answer the question is privacy a fixable problem? Or we ever, or is it. Uh, or was it always was it always a thing that was meant to eventually go away? Um, so yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true because we have we haven't even touched on the rise of computer vision. These cameras are all over the place. They are now used for police. So lots of topics that we can discuss, but I think we should wrap yes. it up. So yeah, so wrap it up on the the theme of every podcast, Johnny. Where do you see the opportunity? Uh, for innovation and for startups in this space? Uh, I mean, There's one, a bunch. There's a bunch that popped up. There are a bunch that we've, popped up that we've kind of mentioned. I think one of them, uh, for me personally, is 
someone that can simplify what is going on with my data, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone has their own privacy. Um, you know, everyone jokes like nobody reads the privacy policies that you sign and any of these things, right? So I know it's a lot of legal legalese, a lot of legal language, uh, and that's what it's intended to, right? It's intended for you not to be interested in reading it. There are very few people that do read it. But I think it'd be one idea for a startup would be, could there be a startup that would just tell me in one page, hey, you know, some tabular format that says Google does this, Apple does this, Uber does this, uh, this company does this. Like, at least just target the large companies, go through their research. You know, there's, you know, the rise of AI and NLP must surely enable some companies to quickly analyze uh, a company's privacy policy and say, this is what they're, they're what they're doing. Some of them, you know, they make sure you can't sue them, all these things, right? So it'd be really interesting to just say a summary page where it says, this is what they do. Is what they don't do. This is your rights as a consumer. This is not your rights as a consumer. I haven't signed this. Something like that. I can just summarize it because I don't you know the. You know the site. Get a human. Uh, that's mostly for customer calls, right? Yes, but I was thinking. I was just thinking earlier about uh, how hard it is to figure out what you do. What if there was a get a human for all of these different websites and services? Because most of them are the same service. Most of them use these these same small companies that just keeps getting updated. If like you go to this website, you go here. It's like one click on this website. This is how you opt out of everything. Right. Like, and oh, yes. How you it opt wouldn't out. be too hard, one, with humans, but two, just with uh, web scraping to continuously try to figure out because they're going to change it in front of you because they're incentivized right. to make it hard. So you're just using web scraping to continuously pull that UI and figure out what now is the right path. Right. Um, I... I had another thought about this as well, which is so sure. folks are making data maps uh, effectively. And this is, this is neat uh, and cool. Um, so there's like startups that will come into your company and to provide because data pipelines tend to be so uh, large and vast that you have no idea where all your data goes. Right. Even when you're within the company, you have companies come in and they'd be like, okay, we'll map an individual piece of user data throughout all of your company's pipelines, every place it's stored, every DB it goes into, uh, and so on and so forth, and provide you that map so you can go and clean up your privacy. Um, the idea that I had is, now this is impossible, mind you, without government intervention, I feel. Um, but what about the ability to summarize where all of your data goes to every single company and who it's sold to and graph that out for an individual. Exactly. I like that. I'm just putting these down. Summarize where your, where your data goes. Mm-hmm. Now, I the think there's elements of this could work. For example, your re- when you request your data to know where your data is sold to, this is probably an interesting data visualization thing we could probably do in our in our spare time uh you request where your data is sent to and you can figure out what advertisers have it you because with all these it will be interesting to request your data from these companies that's true on and map it out one is that's true i wonder though how yeah that's definitely an interesting problem so we have okay so just to wrap up our takeaways is there's three things that we could do, right? Which is summarize privacy policies of different tech companies. We could summarize where your data goes through the different companies and visualize it. And then we could have a get a human service for how to opt out of these different services that we use. Is that mm-hmm. pretty much? Yep. Awesome. Interesting. Because I think there's, this could be beneficial too. For example, 
knowing where your data is going might actually, transparency might be the solution for this. Because what I mean by that is, I have a good idea of how Google is using my data and what value is trying to, survive, is trying to provide. Right. It would be interesting if I, I have a clear representation of, of where my data is going within the Google systems, even if it's not, you know, here's my direct data model, of course, that would be, uh, that, that's unrealistic to expect. Right. But it's like, it's like you, when you did this, these data points went into this system, which is basically a black box. And it's one of our, it's a black box that represents our algorithms. And that was used to propagate, here's this, reg, this restaurant recommendation we gave you. It's like right. here is this uh, this reminder we sent you to catch your play to catch your plane on time because we searched there was traffic and there was more traffic and thus we sent it to you early because we knew we had that. It's like remind me of the value right. that you're giving me as a service, and perhaps I feel much more comfortable with your company. Right. Transparency. Basically, all of this summarizes to transparency and enabling the user to know what's going on with that data and giving them the, you know, the ability to decide, Hey, is this something I want to continue using or is this, how do I opt out? Right. So put the yeah. more of the, more of the decisions that cook that um, consumers are unable to make right now, they'd be able to make it right with this information. Yeah. I like it. That's super interesting. And probably something you can figure out even, I mean, the last part, if we worked at Google, we can just be like, okay, yeah, we, we know where to get this information. This seems like a feature we could pitch. Uh, but even from an outsider, you could probably figure out a lot of this information just from news articles, interviews, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah it, seems like, it seems like we'll be talking about privacy for a while. Uh, I like it. We have a good like three or four or five episodes worth of just privacy information. That wraps up our episode for this week. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week.